I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. Finally decided that we're going to do a long weekend retreat because everyone's been asking us and we just wanted to find the perfect place. So we did. Yeah. And I think it's nice because there's something about doing a four night, three day retreat that makes it a little bit more accessible to everyone when a full week away can be tough. Totally. And, you know, we really decided to do it this time on just so many of the themes that feel alive in our work with our clients and what the, you know, the conversations we're having in our group work with clients um, around the shift in what's happening right now in the collective. Yeah. And what's happening for women. And I think it's a really unique moment in history that we're living through. You see it in so many of the conversations that are happening with, you know, the success of the Barbie movie, the way we're really challenging these patriarchal structures that we talk about constantly and how much the level of discontent and, mm-hmm. um, knowing that something needs to change within my life, but what does that look like even knowing it, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of times people are coming to us in a therapeutic setting and they're telling us that they're feeling, you know, overwhelmed, resentful, disillusioned with their life, disconnected, right? That they're struggling to really identify kind of what is theirs and what is social programming, that they want something different and bigger from their lives, but they're not really sure, like, how, what does that look like and how do I get there, right? Yeah. 
So we want to create a long weekend where we're going to give you some of the tangible tools that we have incorporated into our own lives that we're working with and the clients that we work with and really what it looks like to start to embody the rise of the feminine principle that we know this moment in history is sort of prophesized to be about for all of us, right? Hell yeah. So we're also going to walk away really understanding what it means um, to envision our life with a real authentic sense of clarity, with purpose, with aliveness. We're going to have no apologies here, right? We're going to also break down some of the limiting beliefs and where they come from, right? So we're going to get into the upbringing component. Um, why and where is all of this highly codependent, patriarchal, misogynistic kind of, um, you know, approach to life. Like, why are we carrying this? Right. It's really important for us to understand and break that down. Yeah. So we're calling it the return of the sovereign feminine. It's going to be in Malibu, California, at the most beautiful estate, January 18th through 21st. And we're just really excited about this one. It feels really close to our hearts. Yeah. So you can click on either of our bio links on Instagram or social, um, or you can go to my website, vanessabena.com uh, backslash retreats, and you can check out all the information there. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. I love when we do this thing of... Um, bringing over our IG lives onto an actual podcast episode because so much of the time I feel like what we get into in the questions that people ask end up being really valuable questions that come up a lot, you know? Totally. And it's almost like um, for lack of like a system to be able to do like a live call-in show, it almost feels like the Instagram <laughs> lives are that. We're like the, it's like the love line, you know, on Instagram. Um, but to be fair, you know, everybody listening, obviously the audio quality is not the same because it is an IG live, but um, I want to tell you some of the questions that you will hear in this uh, live that we're having you listen to today. So um, I want a partner because I'm lonely, help. Mm. So we talk about loneliness and the desire for partnership kind of stemming through that lens. Uh, my partner numbs with social media and weed. Do I stay or go? So really more mm. of this conversation around like, using things outside of ourself, right. To, to kind of, to numb or to regulate. And if one person isn't doing that, what does that look like? Right. Um, I want my partner to take my side and have my back no matter what. That was a good one. Mm. <laughs> and then, um, this idea of integrating the shadow parts of yourself versus trying to be air quote healed. Right. And just mm. like this term healed and kind of you and I riff on like what that means and where we've heard it and um, what does that look like, you know, to do the healing work. I'm laughing that you said. I was like, why are you laughing? You said, what if one partner is numbing and the other partner is it? I don't know why. That Did I say that? Is. Well, I meant like yeah, through, through like weed, like through substance is what I, I guess yeah, I meant. We were all numbing. Funny. Uh, maybe that's why it struck me as funny. I'm like, I don't know. We're all living through something. I don't know why I found it funny. It just, I was picturing the other partner, like watching. <laughs> like the Netflix, like, hello. Anyway. <laughs> We're all numbing, y'all. It's just what's your drug of choice. And sometimes <laughs> the drugs don't align, I guess is my point. <laughs> <laughs> They're not a good fit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, we, we really centered this conversation, I guess, around, um, well, 
you guys hear it. You know, you know what we talk about. You know what mm-hmm. we speak to. You're here for a reason. Um, but the live was really around our upcoming retreat, you know, and just letting people out there in our Instagram world kind of know more about the ways that Danae and I work and the way that we work with clients and in groups. Um, and just to give a little taste for kind of the conversations that you could expect. Yeah. I feel like I'm more excited about this retreat than I've been. I mean, it's not that I'm not always excited about retreats because I am, but there's something about this content that just feels really close to, I'll speak for both of us, to our hearts right now Mm -hmm. because it's just so much excavating that we're both doing around just like the reclamation of the feminine and the witch wound that like all of us are starting to like really be in this like space of reckoning with collectively. And it just feels like such an empowering space of creating content right now as we're talking about what it's going to be. So I don't know. I'm super excited for January. Me too. Prerequisite homework. Even if you guys don't come to the retreat, I've been like pushing this podcast out everybody's throat that I've talked to, but there's Mm. this podcast called Witch um, that I was like obsessed with. And I devoured in like two days. It's this 13 part series by this, um, BBC reporter, India Raxon. And it's so good, like so good. Like, I feel like it changed me on a cellular level. It like restructured the way I feel about like myself, my lineage, my understanding of like women of the feminine of patriarchy. I mean, it was just so good. I can't, I like cannot recommend it enough. So go listen to it if you haven't. All right. Enjoy. Well, we wanted to get together and talk about all things the wild feminine <laughs> today. I, mean, I don't think we talk all things wild feminine. Um, yeah. So we had gotten some questions. I think some people had DM'd us and had emailed us talking about, um, you know, our upcoming retreat in January. Um, just wondering what the content was going to be about, wondering what we were going to be talking about, wondering what to expect. And so we wanted to just hop on and have a conversation um, about that, but also larger context of really just the topics that are kind of firing us up right now, right? <laughs> Hard to get fired up. Yeah. You guys have any questions? <laughs> Well, we'll leave it open to anybody who's in the chat box that wants to ask us some questions, please feel free. Um, in the meantime, uh, maybe we can just start with kind of like a little overview of what you could expect. So the retreat is at the end of January, 18th to 21st, right? <laughs> um, four days, three nights. It's going to be in Malibu, California. So we have an amazing house that we rented um, in the hills of Malibu. Uh, people are going to be open to stay wherever they want. So some people are staying with friends that they know in LA. Some people are staying at hotels, Airbnbs, whatever. Um, and it's going to be jam-packed four days. And so we're going to be going through a lot of... Um, I guess building on a lot of the base building blocks that Zanae and I always talk about. So the tangible tools of how we are in relationship with each other, how to relationship better, if you will. We're going to break down um, codependency within relationships. We're going to talk about how to move more into an interdependent space. Um, We're going to talk about tangible tools around things like boundaries, communication, all of these things that we want to make sure you go home with. But then we're also going to unpack some kind of bigger topics and conversations, right? Yeah. You know, I think we're living through a really interesting time in terms of relationships. We just got out of a session with a couple where we were talking about how it's interesting to navigate what it is to be in partnership at a time where 
our grandparents' grandparents' model of love and partnership has just become a little bit outdated in terms of the world that we live in, in terms of some of the patriarchal structures that we all are attempting to you know, reckon with and question like what is true for me and for what feels like the truest, most beautiful life that I can live. And a lot of that is really recognizing the ways that we've all been conditioned to reject our feminine. And that is regardless of gender, but the feminine are the elements of self that are really the, you know, the parts of us that are the unknown, the ending, the intuitive, the the things that cannot be named or labeled or put in a box, um, the things that have been really threatening to a capitalist <laughs> patriarchal society, right? And so as we're starting to move into a space where we are all attempting to define what is a good life for me, and I'm defining that for myself, a lot of that means reclaiming what um, we've been conditioned to disown within right. ourselves, right? right. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, we've been hearing a lot of these conversations around the feminine, right? And I think one of the ways that you and I, um, I think work really well together is we're really able to take, um, both the kind of tangible, uh, my very like Torian way, right. Of looking at things and also the very like ethereal kind of more spiritually grounded, you know, um, components of this stuff too. And even components like creativity, for example, you know, your creative force is actually, it comes from your feminine energy. It comes from your feminine force, right? So a lot of times I'll have clients that'll come in that'll talk about feeling flat, feeling stuck, feeling just a general sense of dissatisfaction, right? In their lives. And a lot of our work is actually centered around reclaiming the feminine aspects of self. And by the way, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, um, because that is where those feelings of discontent are actually coming from. It's from a disconnection with that part of self. It's from not only a disconnection, but sometimes an outright um, assault on mm-hmm. those parts of ourself, right? And to your point, that's kind of brought on by the society we live in. Um, and then we perpetuate it in our own homes. We perpetuate that in the decisions that we make in the relationships, you know, the people that we surround ourselves with, um, how we show up in our relationships. And so there are ways that we can learn and understand this stuff, but also tangible ways in our relationships. Um, and like when we go home again, where we can actually call in and invite in those aspects of self that we've, we've kind of been, um, like co-conspirators in the, like keeping down, you know? Yeah. I love, you know, as you were saying, we perpetuated. I was just thinking about a conversation you and I were having, I guess, Monday. (laughs) A conversation, but we were interviewing someone and talking about trauma and sort of like religious trauma and all of the ways that we've just been really conditioned to relegate aspects of ourselves, the shadow elements of ourselves to the basement and these parts of ourselves that we, um, don't get to fully express or even be in relationship with or recognize because whether it's been, you know, we've gotten these um, messages that are sort of like implicit messages, which is like, nobody actually said it, but I could feel in the energy around it that this was something I wasn't allowed to do or be, or explicitly someone said something that made it clear that aspect of who I am is not okay. Right. And so what I think is so interesting is when she was describing some of the trauma responses um, that come up around like religious trauma, she was talking about like this idea of like getting it wrong and like being wrong. And I was like, God, that's such a like all of us 
grappling with this idea that there's some sort of a script that has been written for what constitutes a good life. And if I just follow that script, I will be safe and I will be lovable and I will be enough. Mm. And I don't think that's anyone's reality. I think that all of us are meant to be in the space of creating our lives, but that's not really a permission slip that we've been given in the society that we've been living in, you know? Right. I mean, the society that we've lived in thus far and, you know, it is changing. I mean, it's shifting. I think there are people like you and I and many others that are really passionate about uh, creating a new, a new earth, right. <laughs> um, being part of the creation of a new earth, but you know, it, it really has taught us that we cannot trust or rely on our internal sense of self, you know, that we have to place, um, our trust in the external, right. In, in an authority figure that is outside of self. So whether that's, you know, a religious structure, whether that's, um, a, a relationship, right. Like a traditional marriage, for example, whether that's in, um, you know, our politicians, it doesn't matter. We have been taught since day one that it's not about what we feel internally. Don't pay attention to it. Don't hone the skill of listening to it. Immediately turn it outward, right? We are a society of addicts, right? We love to shop to make ourselves feel better. We love to actually imbibe, you know, alcohol and drugs to make ourselves feel better. We love to get in relationships with people to make ourselves feel better. We love to scroll on social media to make ourselves feel better, right? And so much of those tendencies to have that addiction, that thing that we reach for to kind of numb and to soothe ourselves is because we are disconnected from that internal sense of who we are. And a lot of the work that you and I do really is grounded in reestablishing that relationship so that when I do feel the existential anxiety that, by the way, we all feel to a certain extent and at certain times in our lives, rather than go to reach outside of myself, which is what I've been conditioned to do my whole life, I can actually turn inward and sit with myself and be with my discomfort um, and, and listen for the answers, listen for, listen for the truth that actually comes from in here versus out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, uh, um, we do do all of these things to distract ourselves from the existential anxiety you said, but really like from the uncertainty of mm -hmm. like what, what we can't be certain of. And so this is something I can know how I'm going to feel if I like, get on social media and start scrolling, I know I'm going to get a little bit of a ha. Huh. If I like shop and buy that thing, I'm going to get that dopamine surge that gives me that temporary distraction from the things that I'm afraid to sit with inside of myself. But I think what we are learning to do is coming, come back to that space of it is safe to be with me, mm. really. The, the masculine energetic is like the doing and the, um, the execution and the movement and really like the feminine is the space of coming back to the being being enough, right? Like that, um, just Stillness. in the I am, that is really all that I need to do and what comes up when I'm there with myself. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So we had a couple people that put some questions in, um, there was one way up where, so I'm going to go scroll back and see if I can find it. Cause she was like the first one that asked a question and I don't want to overlook it. Um, Okay. So real appetite says, can you talk about how loneliness tries to pick a mate? That's interesting. Why are we really wanting what we're wanting? So I, I'm guessing the conversation around like picking a partner through the lens of loneliness. Yeah. Um, I'm, 
I'm like formulating the question mm-hmm. in my mind. Why loneliness tries to pick a mate? I think, well, what comes up is that we are sort of, we are wired for attachment. We are wired for connection. And um, there's something that is just, so it's, it's a little bit, to be honest, I think the same thing we were talking about with all of our addictions, right? It's like, mm-hmm. if something feels good, more of this will feel amazing, right? If I feel soothed by the thing of attaching to another, um, being with this person, like, attached in the space of, like, near enmeshment, I would say, societally, will feel just that much better. And I think, you know, when we're children, we have such a strong desire to feel soothed in that way by our caregivers. Most of us, didn't get that in a way that felt, you know, um, most of us were raised by human beings who had their own pain points. And so a lot of us didn't get that secure attachment. I would say almost nobody did, right? Mm -hmm. What we've really been conditioned to do is believe that our security lies outside of ourselves and that our work is to feel a sense of calm in the attachment that I will create with another person. Now, I think what we're starting to understand is that if I don't fill myself up with the awareness that I am loved, that I couldn't possibly require love outside of myself because it's a little bit like the ocean requiring water to thrive. Like you are love. You don't need love outside of you. But we're shifting, I believe, from a space where we understand that love is more about what we are able to give to another from the space of our overflow versus what we are able to draw from another person. Um, but if I, I have never learned to sort of be with myself and self-soothe and really appreciate the sacred nature of my solitude, which, you know, I'm constantly in the space of saying, like, we're just a society that has lost its connection to the art of, like, spiritual solitude and what that offers and how we um, are able to, like, learn so much about ourselves and what we love and don't love and are afraid of and are expanding into in the space of solitude. Um, and that's really that we're a society that's lost connection to our feminine. Mm-hmm. And so like, I need to like have a structure with another person to give me safety. And if I have that, then I'll be okay. But what we end up finding is that if I don't know how to source that, and that's the big circle back to that question about loneliness. Um, I think the best time to, um, join in partnership with another person is when my life is so good that this relationship could only conceivably add to the amazing mm-hmm. versus like, I need you to fill me up with something that I am lacking within myself. Because if I need you to fill that cup for me, it becomes like a cup with a hole in the bottom that I constantly need you to pour into. And I never feel satiated, you know? Yeah. I would say the only other thing I would add on top of that is just you know, circling back like you did earlier to the conversation we said about addiction is that um, loneliness is a feeling, right? Loneliness is a fleeting emotion, just like any other emotion. And to your point, we are communal. You know, we need attachment. We do need connection. We all know this, right? Nobody's saying that we were meant to be alone forever and ever. Amen. That's not what we're saying. But what happens so often is that that feeling of being lonely because we have not done the work that I was saying earlier about sitting with the existential anxieties that come up, right? So many of us from such a very young age, were not taught 
how to actually ride the wave of discomfort, ride the wave of anxiety that naturally comes from being human. You know, even when you were little, we weren't given the space to build that muscle. Most of the time it was shut down, right? Or most of the time our parents just distracted us or, you know, talked us out of feeling what we were feeling because they didn't have the tools either, right? And so similarly, loneliness being an emotion, most of the work around that comes from, can I sit with the feeling of lonely, right? Rather than saying, I am lonely, can I sit with the feeling of lonely and be with it? and meditate on it and feel the sensation. And then if I have a desire to connect to somebody rather than try to date through the lens of loneliness, right? Can I pour that um, kind of energy and attention into the people that are in my life that I'm close with, you know, close friendships, family members, other relationships where to your point, you're not going to end up in a relationship, an intimate relationship, a partnership where it actually ends up being, I need you to make me feel whole. I need you. Your job is to make sure that I don't feel lonely, right? Because then we get into these very off-balanced relationships where um, the expectations of the other person are to fill those holes to your point. And that's, it's impossible. It's, it's not sustainable. Um, and inevitably the relationship will, um, not be able to kind of hold itself up from that kind of pressure, you know, circling it back to our relationship with the feminine. Mm-hmm. We've all been conditioned to believe that certain emotions that are acceptable, like happy, sometimes sad, but like not really <laughs> a lot of times, but that like, the full gamut of wild, unnameable, untamable, like emotions. Like if you think about how much most of us were shut down when we had big emotions that were um, difficult for our parents to tolerate when we were little, we really got a lot of strong messaging about like some feelings being acceptable and being detachment and some feelings being the ones that if we had those big feelings, people would detach from us. Yeah. Right. Um, And so to your point, I think it's really just being in the space of understanding, like, yes, there's loneliness in me right now. Um, In the same way that if I drink a cup of coffee, there would be coffee inside of me right now, but I'm not coffee. That Mm -hmm. is who I am. That is what I'm having. Right. Right. Um, Okay. So one of the questions somebody actually submitted in says, um, oh, it's just a comment. Capitalism um, does not like the unknown or un, uh, oh, unobjectifiable. Yes, truth. <laughs> and today, if you want to, you want to talk more about that. I mean, that is the the unhealthy masculine, right? This idea of not being okay with things that aren't in structure and don't make sense logically that can't be named, right? And we as a culture, as a people, have shifted so far into that space that that is where this discomfort that you and I are talking about comes from, right? We've lost touch. We've lost the ability to really sit with the unknown. Yeah. You know, I think it's, if we think about a distorted masculine paradigm, which is what we've been living in, that is the space of an external authority defines truth. And there's so many layers to what that can mean. The structures, the organization, the bureaucracies, the religions, like all of these externalized ways of defining truth um, versus like the feminine, which is the internal, which is the space of returning to, but what feels true for me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what feels like my sense of clarity of truth in this moment knowing that what feels true for me right now might be different five minutes from now, but that's okay. But if I'm in a relationship with myself enough to be in acceptance of that, it's a very different thing than what we've been conditioned to do, which is like, I can't trust myself. 
I need someone outside of me to tell me what's true. I need someone else outside of me to give me a sense of certainty, which is never really real anyway. It's just sort of the illusion that we've been taught to believe in. Yeah, I like this uh, this question. It's interesting. Um, so Matt Lynette says, isn't there a loop here in speaking to heal that which we just need to accept? The shadow contains the unacceptable, which we think needs healing, question mark. And I, I think what I love about what he's saying is, it, first of all, it's true, right? I think of this word heal and healing um, gets thrown around quite a lot. I think especially in this like social media landscape, pop psychology landscape. Um, and I don't know that either one of us, actually, I'm going to speak for you. I don't know that you and I really use the word heal very often because so much of the work that we do coming from a depth psychology perspective is less about the word heal and it's more about the word integrate, right? It's more about uncovering, right? The shadow elements of ourselves that our parents, society, right? Has kind of deemed unacceptable, which if we are born a lovable being, if we are born worthy, if we are born whole, right? It's not a process of healing. It's about uncovering these components to ourselves that we have been told are not okay, that are not whole and reintegrating them into ourself, right? This is the process of individuation. And so anybody who's listening, I would say, be, be leery of the word heal and healing. And do you want to heal this? And can you heal that? Especially in this kind of realm of pop psychology and social media, because um, it's a forever journey. There is no one-stop shop. It is not like do this one thing, take this one course and you will be healed. That's not how this, this journey of being a soul um, on this earth works. Right. Yeah. And I, I would even add that like, I think like speaking to healing is okay. As long as we're not thinking of it, like sort of a linear field with an ED. <laughs> it's not like, like, I think there are many healing experiences that I've had in my relationship with you or every time I feel like we have one of these retreats, we are like, Oh, I was so broken open. That was so healing. (laughs) Right. Like Mm -hmm. these are the moments of remembrance and that is a continuous process forever and ever. Amen. To your point. I don't think we reach a point of arrival, which a lot of times people will come in for therapy. It's like, this is broken. I need it fixed. (laughs) I need to heal from this. And it's like, well, that's not exactly Mm -hmm. here. And I think that, just being in the nature or in that relationship, excuse me, with remembering the truth of who we are does feel like healing, but we will need to heal forever. <laughs> I think that's like what we continuously do now. Yeah. The number of times that I will hear from somebody, um, from a client that'll say like, I thought I'd already healed this part of me. I thought I already done this healing work. And I'm like, well, that's not how it works. <laughs> All you've done is just peeled another version, you know, another layer from the onion. And now we're at the next layer and we get to work on healing that layer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. And then we've got, so this is a really tangible question. What to do if our partner gets high to avoid and scrolls to avoid? I'm guessing we just have to decide for ourselves if we stay or go. Mm-hmm. You think for us? <laughs> I mean, a little bit, you know, that second part of the question, kind of a little bit you answered your own question, right? I mean, if we know without a shadow of a doubt that the the only thing that we are in control of on this planet is ourselves, that's it, right? We are in control of nothing else, mm-hmm. which includes other people, no matter how much we love them, no matter how much we want what's best for them. Um, we don't get to decide what someone's journey looks like, right? And so we can be a support system to somebody, but sometimes that might be from a distance. Sometimes we don't 
um, you know, need to stay in partnership with somebody if, if, um, if it's too much for us to be able to accept them exactly as they are and for them essentially to accept us exactly as we are. Yeah. It's funny. We were having um, a conversation in our cheaper therapy online community. Yesterday. We were talking about just how often the idea of like, this is what I need my partner to fix. Mm. This is the thing my partner like continues to do that is maddening to me comes up. And, you know, the conversation we were having was that I often say like, it's always like an opportunity for us to go inward. And I just feel like we're so conditioned. What feels easy, what feels accessible is to make one person the identified patient, as we would say in psychology, the problem. And I have never, and you correct me if you don't feel like this is true, but like whenever I have ever said like, what was it like in the beginning with this person? I have never heard someone not give me a description of this is the way this person always was. Always was. And yet I chose to partner with them. So my work really becomes to be in the inquiry and like deep curiosity about what part of me was attracted to this, right? Mm. Is that is making me feel like my spirit is just like crawling at this thing that my partner continues to do. I chose that for a reason. Therein lies my work. Can I be curious about that? Because I think to your point, um, I've never known someone who's made like a radical change in their lives because they were nagged into submission. It's not the way the human psyche works. But I think that if we get really curious about like, what are the parts of me that were attracted to this and this person and we get in right relationship with that and we start to do our own work around that, I love to say the relationship will either rise to meet you and who you are becoming or it will fall away as it's meant to. But I think a little bit less focus outward and a little bit more focus. Always, always, always. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, we do like one more. Um, Okay, let's see. How does childhood trauma relate to attachment styles? Like specific examples to make sense of it and put the puzzle pieces together. I mean, it's a good question. I definitely am not going to pretend that I am an expert in attachment theory. Um, Y'all should definitely follow our friend Tawny Lyons, though. She's amazing when it comes to attachment work. Um, What I will say is that the more and more work I do as a therapist with clients on myself, the more and more I, I have really come to a deep understanding of how attachment is a spectrum. And I have really moved away from using the all or nothing, black and white, very masculine way of wanting to classify things and put them in in all this, all that, right? So what do I mean by that? I have a tendency to show up more on the avoidance side of the spectrum, right? And yet, when I am in relationship with people who also can be more avoidant, I can tend to swing more into an anxious state, right? And vice versa. So I have kind of sat on pretty much every spot on that spectrum of attachment, right? So I say that for anybody who's, you know, listening and is curious about attachment to know that you don't have to say like, this is what I am. This is what I will always be. Like it's some kind of sentence and that you have to just completely identify with this one state of being. A lot of times it's actually about the person that you are relating to and what it's bringing up in you as a response, right? And so to going back to Danae's um, comment on the last question, Really what that does is that gives you an ability to look inward and do the the inquiry of what about this dynamic is bringing up, like, let's say the avoidance, 
what about this dynamic is bringing up a desire to avoid, right? Is bringing up a desire to kind of hide or run or pull back or a fear of getting more intimate or vulnerable, right? Um, and, and can I allow myself to go inward? Now, directly attaching that to specific parenting, um, you know, it, it's tough. Again, there's a lot of research out there that can give you very specific ways of looking at this, but I, again, I'm having a hard time even with a lot of that research because so much more I'm starting to see this as a spectrum. And then that doesn't really align with that research. So I don't know, Danae, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I feel like what I hear you saying, and I definitely agree with this, I think there's a way that we've sort of made these attachment styles a form of identity, yep. which they're, they're sort of energetics based on how we have really as survival mechanisms been conditioned to negotiate intimacy with other people. Um, and that's based on like what we learned was safe, what felt overwhelming to us on a nervous system level, um, either in our family of origin or in our pain points, as you know, I think that question was basically alluding to. And I think, yeah, it's absolutely our work to, I think we are learning that when I build a home within myself, um, regardless, because I think, you know, whether we're talking about like, and we're going to use like the basics here, when we say like avoidant or anxious, which are the ones that people tend to identify most with, although there's like a spectrum mm -hmm. in terms of weight attached, um, they're really two sides of the same coin in that like an anxious attachment is sort of like reaching outside of myself to cultivate a sense of safety in terms of intimacy. And that avoidant energy is really like, creating distance um, to create a little bit more like I can control and that's how it creates safety. But in a lot of ways, they're both based on like a little bit of a lack of safety and a little bit of like, I don't feel um, that I can hold my center, right? Like regardless that I got me regardless, because if I'm sort of like reacting to you and that I have to push you away, that's still me in the anxious space of like, I don't know that I can like stay with me being close to you. Right. Um, and that in terms of childhood can come from like feeling overwhelmed from enmeshment from people needing too much of us. The anxious side of the coin can be like, you know, people really weren't present for me, or even I got a lot of messaging that the world wasn't safe unless you stayed close to people. Right. Um, so yes, I think that we are really learning to anchor our sense of safety in something bigger. And I, I think it's such a fascinating thing when we talk about reclaiming the feminine because a lot of times people hear the conceptualization especially my god with everything that's happening in the world that going into the space of like going inward and being in relationship with yourself is just more of the like hyper individualism that we've been raised with and i would argue so much of the hyper individualism that we've been raised with is sort of like i use people and objectify people as a way to not feel discomfort mm -hmm. because i to stay with myself now, when I'm actually able to stay in relationship with myself in a conscious way and like I can be with you and still stay with me, I'm actually able to show up in the world and have an impact and be the change I want to see in all of the things we talk about versus like the hyper individualism that we were raised with, I think was more like, I don't really care about how I'm making you feel. I'm going to get mine and I'm going to take care of like, you know, what this feels like for me. Yeah just sort of like grappling for a sense of safety wherever I can get it. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. And I mean, it's not even just in how we relate to each other. It's how we relate to our earth, right? It's how we relate to um, our, our souls, our spirituality, right? 
a lot of how we've been conditioned as beings has been all about, to your point, like to get mine. And I think that there is a lot of confusion out there, especially in the work that you and I do, that somehow you and I are talking about this like hyper individualism. And that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is we actually do need to go inward and find that sense of safety internally so that we can then show up in relationship to other people from a healthy interdependent place, right? Because without that, we just continue to perpetuate the same codependent nonsense we've been living in for generations and is really why we've gotten to the place that we've gotten to, right? Globally, I would say as a people. Um, okay, let's do one more just because this one's actually a really good question. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> um, so it's kind of a lot. So I don't trust my partner to have my back. He thinks taking sides is immature, even if it's someone who, who has really hurt me. I feel strongly attached to being loved. This is the same person, so I'm reading both. I feel strongly attached to being loved by someone who, although tells me they love me, the result is I feel disregarded by him. I know it's minimal, but do I leave? Why do I find it so hard to leave? Aw. I guess you said that it was a little like Um Okay, so she wants her, her partner. She wants her partner to take her side which I think number one, right? We would, we would start to ask the question around how is it that you can work to take your own side? Like I think going inward, right? And, and starting to do that work of like why my desire is to have this person outside of myself take my side and validate my experience, you know, versus sitting with myself and doing the work around validating my own experience and being kind of my own fierce advocate and protector. Yeah. I mean, I want to, as I, I'm, I'm just adding to what you're saying because I wholeheartedly said, and I think that there's something in what we're really asking of ourselves. That's what I talk a lot about taking radical personal responsibility, which is a lot of like, what is the new way of framing relationships and framing the way that we're showing up in the world in a more conscious way is like, instead of like saying like, I want you to have my back regardless of like because sometimes we're gonna be wrong my love like that's wrong whatever right but like sometimes we're activated and it's like do you I want my partner to blindly have my back I mean what that equates to is basically not have a backbone with me, right vacating yeah and I think that there's a way that I was just giving an example the other night like where when we're activated if instead of like digging our heels in with like nope this is how I feel you need to like meet me here and whatever it is if I can get still, take a moment to pause and get into the inquiries Vanessa is speaking to and say, what is the story I'm telling myself about what it means, right? Like, what feels historic about this? When did I not feel seen in the past? Because a lot of times, um, again, no shade, was there the other night just telling a story about it in group? It's our little girl that just wants someone to see me and adore me and validate me. And we're not wrong for that. Let me just like, so say adamantly, you are not wrong for that. And a lot of times the person we really need to see our little girl and validate her feelings is me. And that, that becomes that thing of like, I don't even see my partner when I just need them to blindly be who I need them to be in this moment for my little girl to feel okay. And sometimes Maybe my partner feels a little bit uncomfortable in this situation. Maybe I'm saying something that like really reminds him of something or rubs him the wrong way in the way that I can't even see or be curious about if I just need you to tend to my little girl. And I think what Vanessa and I talk about so much is like we're really getting into the space of putting down this idea that we're meant to be parenting 
one another in our romantic partnerships, right? Like, let's call a thing a thing because it's actually not as sexy as it would be suggested by some of the couples therapy modalities for us to be parenting our partner into, um, you know, forever. I think it would feel maybe really good in the moment if your partner blindly stepped in and took your side and validated you. And then I think there goes back to that image again of the bucket with the hole in it. I think the more we expect the person outside of ourselves to soothe that anxiety in us, which was really a job that our parents would have done, um, the more we're going to continue to need that person outside of ourselves to do that. Right. And so, um, yeah, that's sort of that. That's it's it's tough because this is you know the validation piece is is a big one. I mean, I think I hear the validation piece probably, I would say almost more than anything else within couples work. Right, is like this desire for the other person to see me and validate my experience, and um, it's tough. But here's the trick that like we don't want to start like, in the moment, but if we can just like really understand this when we get into the space of like. I'm not going to demand that validation from that person and I'm going to work to attempt to validate them first. The energy shifts and they're just willing to validate us. It's just how we like are wired. Like if we attempt to see them first and not demand something from it, and it's that thing, like all of us have that inner rebellious teenager that doesn't want to do something when it's demanded of us. Right. But once it's like, I appreciate your perspective and I'm sorry that I was demanding this from you that my person's like, oh, well, yes, you did have a point in that argument or whatever the thing was, right? But it's just, nobody wants to be told what to do. And that's the really difficult truth about relationships that I feel like we always have to come back to, you know? Yeah. All right, y'all. Well, if you are so inclined, you should definitely try to join us in January January 18th or 21st in Malibu. Um, we're going to be diving really deep into some of these conversations, into these areas. Like I said, we're going to talk tangible tools. Um, it's going to be, you know, a small group of women, uh, just really there to go deep, right? And, and really excavate some of the just really common beliefs that we have that are not our beliefs, right? That are those that have been given to us by society and by living in our patriarchal structure. And, um, we want to hold space for that and we want to really just, just help guide us towards continuing to show up for each other in these ways. Right. What's really great about this one is it's a little bit shorter, so it's not like a full week and you can stay wherever feels feasible for you to stay bunk up with a buddy and come um, on in for the days. But yes, I think it's going to be just such an enlivening like it always is like we love to do these retreats in January because it just feels like such an empowering way to start off the year. And we would love for you guys to join us if you're evil in Malibu. Yeah. And also this is our third January retreat and the first two that we did sold out. So um, right around the holidays, we're expecting a little bit of a bump for those last few spots. So if y'all are interested, please make sure you DM me or Danae for any questions you have. We have payment plans available. Um, but the longer you wait, the the less those are going to help you. So if it's something you're kind of thinking about, get on it now and uh, let us help you figure it out financially. Yeah. Yes. Okay. We hope to see you all in January. All right. Hi guys. Hi babe. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.